Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis. So we're less than a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting to Dunedin for spring training. And then shortly after that, Blue Jays open up their regular season at a newly renovated Rogers Center. Today, they unveiled some of the progress on the uh, renovations down at Rogers Center. We got to see some of the outline of the outfield fence, but not all of it. Like center field, we're not 100% sure. The alleys, we're not 100% sure, but it looks like it's a little bit shorter in straightaway left and straightaway right, but the fence is going to be a little bit higher. Um, ben Nicholson-Smith, sportsnet.ca, at the Letters Podcast, was wearing a hard hat today down at Rogers Center. He joins me now. How's it going, Ben? It's going well. A vest as well, some yeah. safety boots. I mean, you got to take all the precautions. <laughs> it is like a, an active construction site uh, because they didn't want to skip any days. So it's pretty busy down there. So it wasn't just for show because I, I guessed in the previous segment that they, they just handed those out to people so that when they took their selfies, it looked more legit. Like it was, it was there was a, like a, a legal reason you had to wear that stuff. Oh, yeah, I signed a waiver. Um, like, seriously, uh, it's like it's, wow. there's a lot going on. There are, like, nails on the ground. Um, I mean, it's, it's an organized construction site, sure. uh, as it would have to be, but there's a lot going on there. Did you ask to, like, operate some of the heavy machinery? Like, you were, if, you, if you're signing a waiver already, you're, you're wearing all the equipment, I'd be like, yeah, let me, let me jump on one of these cranes for a second. You know, that's not really where my mind went, but I appreciate that insight into your brain there, Ben. All right, we're going to get to the more serious aspects of this in just a second. You know what I was bummed out to see? Because when the, it was first announced that this renovation was taking place and they, they were going to replace all the seats, I was like, man, I, I'm starting to build a little bit of a, of a sports uh, memorabilia collection in my, in my office, which I now have in, in the home that I moved into, that like a seat from Rogers Center would be sweet to own and they're, they're dumping all of them. Why are they doing this? Yeah, it, honestly, it is really interesting. And so we did get an answer on this. So I'm, I'm glad you asked because, you know, all those seats from the 500 level, they are pretty cool mementos of basically, I mean, decades and decades now of Blue Jays, Blue Jays baseball since 1989. Um, so, and, and they are the original seats. I understand that there are two issues with that. One, they were not in good shape. Um, and well, maybe three issues. So they were not in good shape. They were attached in blocks of like four or eight. So it wasn't easy ones and twos. And then beyond that, they didn't have a bottom part of it. Like they didn't have legs. They were kind of affixed <laughs> to the concrete. So then they would have had to go and add legs to it. So that didn't happen. But I do believe that next year when they take out the seats from the lower level, those will go on sale. So your, uh, your office, your, your den can finally get that improvement that it, that it needs. All right. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, a good explanation. The one that you were handed, I mean, that all sound like solutions, right? Because like whatever it costs to put legs on those, like I'm those, those would fetch a pretty penny. I'm sure. Uh, there's lots of people like me that, that would probably pay, pay for, for some of the, what's the, do you, are you a memorabilia guy? Do you have anything in your house? Um, I'm not a big memorabilia guy, but I do like baseball cards, baseball books, and baseball bats. Yeah. So, you know, I've got, I've got uh, my weaknesses and along those lines as well. So what, what did you think was the most interesting thing about what you, what you saw today? Because my mind immediately went to, to the, the dimensions, which we don't necessarily know fully yet. Yeah, the dimensions are different for sure. I mean, you stand next to them and, you know, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, you know, a lot of the time I would access the field through the left field corner. So I'm very used to what that field feels like 
when I'm when I'm walking down the line um, at the end of uh, of a game or, or early in the afternoon, for instance, um, you have a sense of the scale. So this is closer to home plate, and it's way taller. Like the fence used to be, I don't know, like eight or nine feet tall. Like we remember leaping catches where guys can go up and get the ball, but we are not going to see home run robberies down the down the lines anymore. Uh, we're going to see a much different experience where it's more likely to hit high off the wall where the bullpens are because those walls now are probably 13, 14 feet tall, uh, maybe maybe a little bit taller. So it's going to be a challenge for outfielders to play. And I think center field looks bigger. And, you know, this is kind of unscientific right now because the Jays haven't shared the dimensions of what the of what the outfield is at this point. But we're going to learn more about that. And for now, we can at least eyeball it and say that it's at least – it's pretty clear it's going to play differently than how it has before. Do you, do you have any idea as to why you nobody's been issued like the 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 dimensions and and what the 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 fence is going to actually play at from like a an a measurement standpoint? Because Blake Murphy's contention is that they're waiting for the roster to be totally finalized. So if there's like any minute little percentage chance that they can aid themselves with this player, you know, has. You know, it's some uh, specific trait that they could build a fence around that, that they'll they'll wait to the last possible second before announcing it. Like, do you have any idea as to why we haven't been told? I, I don't think it's anything quite that secretive. I think it's mostly just because they're going to have different people address that. So they have one availability mm. with the business operations folks and then closer to spring training, expecting to hear from Ross Atkins about the baseball details, how this will affect the team on the field. So my sense is that it's more that they're, they're separating those discussions a little bit. But, you know, I do think that knowing these dimensions were changing would have informed how the Blue Jays made decisions this offseason to some small extent. I mean, you're still going to get good players. You're not going to go and, you know, sign someone specifically because of the park. But Kevin Kiermeyer, he's good in any park. He's probably a little bit more useful in a park where you have a big center field. So I think there's some aspect right there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the one in particular because you, you sacrificed offense because nobody's going to argue Kevin Kiermaier is a better offensive player than Teoscar Hernandez. He's a way better defender. You sacrificed offense for defense, and, and yeah, it's hard not to connect the dots here in learning that this is going to heavily favor strong defensive outfield teams that, that play at Rogers Center and not think that, okay, that that decision in particular, and maybe to a lesser extent, Dalton Varsho, but he's a tremendous, tremendous defender as well. He's just like a really good player. But the Kiermaier one in particular, it's hard not to think that, that that was impacted at least a little bit by some changing dynamics of the home ballpark. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty fair, at least, you know, based on what we can see at this point. It looks like a big center field. And then with the corners, it's not going to be a straightforward experience in the way that Rogers Center and Skydome were for the first, whatever it is, 30, how long has it been around? 33 years, something like that. Um, it's, it's traditionally been a very standard park with mm. a very much a cookie cutter frame for the outfield where you go 328 down the line, 400 to center field and a, and a perfectly smooth curve, nine foot high wall. It's your standard issue situation. So now you're going to require a bit more, um, of a nuanced approach from the outfielders, including Varsho and including George Springer, who will presumably play a lot of corner outfield this coming season. And, you know, in the absence of that, we used to see Lourdes Gurriel Jr. out there, Teoscar Hernandez out there. Those guys are, are weaker defenders than Varsho and, and Springer um, and Kiermaier. 
So, you know, it's not totally unique in baseball. I mean, you see little walls all over the place, whether it's Houston, whether it's Cleveland, of course, you've got Boston. So it's not totally uncommon to have these, these walls that extend beyond eight or nine feet. Um, but at the same time, that is something that everyone's going to have to get used to in this division. And the Jays are, are going to rely a lot on their outfielders this year. Yeah, so Roger Center, uh, you're right. It was cook, uh, cookie cutter. It, it was very, very standard. It was a multi-use stadium as well when the Blue Jays started play uh, there in 1989. Now it's, it's a baseball-specific facility. But I, I wonder, like, is the expectation that it will play one way or the other, but, like, more pitcher-friendly or more hitter-friendly, or, or is the, the, the object of, of these renovations to make it, to, to, to have it remain a neutral stadium? My sense from talking to Jay's people in, in the course of the last year or so is that they're hoping it'll still play pretty neutral. I don't think that they're trying to convert this into either a pitcher's park or a hitter's park. But what's really interesting is you don't have full, full control over that. I mean, you're shrinking uh, the, the dimensions down the line. You're raising the fences. Um, you're taking out big chunks of concrete in some places, yeah. which is a good thing for the fan experience. It also creates certain unknowns from the standpoint of the drafts and you know how the airflow moves. And that stuff matters for uh, home run factors and the way the ball flies on a given day. So I think that when you undergo a transformation, uh, transformation is too strong a word. When you undergo changes like this that are you know moderate, in, in scale, then you do introduce a certain amount of un- uncertainty. And I, I think for the Jays, you know, I think they would certainly admit that there's not really a lot um, that they can pinpoint. They're going to have to see how this plays on the fly. No, for sure. I was thinking the same thing that, yeah, even the best laid plans, like if they wanted to make it more hitter friend, like there's no guarantee that you can do that unless you bring all the fences into the, yeah, 250 feet or something that, yeah, yeah. It, there's really just no way to know. I, next season feels like there's a lot of unknowns, Ben, because we, we have some, some rule changes that are going into effect with the ban of the shift and the pitch clock and stuff and the bigger paces. Like, could be a really, yeah, like there could be a lot of things that we don't anticipate that are, are going to take place in the upcoming baseball season. Yeah, I think the pitch clock is going to be a huge change. I think it's actually going to be awesome. I think that once we get used to the pitch clock and the, the players, the pitchers are going to have to get used to it. The hitters will have to get used to it. I don't think it'll take that long. We'll have spring to get used to it. And we're just going to see the games get compressed into I'm not sure. I don't have it in front of me, but I would say the average game time last year was probably something like 305. Too long. And it is. It's just. It's just a bit too long. You know. I think it's clear that if we were going to say, "Hey, do you want to add 15, 20 minutes, or do you want to subtract 15, 20 minutes?" It's so obvious. Everyone would subtract. And I think that's what's going to happen with the pitch clock, where we're still going to have the same amount of action. We're still going to have nine innings of baseball. Vlad still going to hit homers. You're still going to see the strikeouts and everything that you come to the ballpark to see the defensive plays, maybe on a bigger scale with the eliminate with the reduction and shift possibilities, but it's going to happen in 245. I think it's going to be really good. So I'm excited to see that this year. Yeah. And, and you can uh, view it at least at Rogers center sitting in like some cool bar type setting uh, in the outfield. Um, all right. Enough about the, the stadium. I don't know that it intrigues me. I hope it intrigued the, the listener as well. Let's talk about Bo Bichette who's uh, going to arbitration unless, I suppose, they figure out some long-term extension, which feels very unlikely, like 
honestly, ever uh, <laughs> between Bobochet and the Toronto Blue Jays because, and this is not to, to say that the the two sides hate each other, but it does really feel like Bobochet's number one priority is to maximize his earning potential and like set records uh, and and be paid like no other shortstop maybe in in major league history. What do what do you make of the, of, of the fact that they are going to arbitration? that they're separated by two and a half million bucks and that there's only three years of team control remaining between Bobochet and the Toronto Blue Jays. It's a really interesting situation. And it definitely dates back to last year when the Blue Jays initially made Bichette an offer in its pre-arbitration days. Um, and that was through their system that they have, uh, you know, a, a, a numbers system that basically goes through and suggests raises for players before they get to arbitration that would have pushed Bo up to about $740,000. He declined that offer from the Blue Jays, instead preferring to take a lower number. But in doing that, he made a statement about his own value and how he sees it. So uh, this is now a couple of years in a row where we're seeing differences in how Bo Bichette values himself and how the Blue Jays value him. So that's not unique in Major League Baseball. Uh, that's that's not This is not the first time that an arbitration-eligible player has been frustrated at his earnings um and i think from everything that i can tell about boba Shett, his number one priority is being really good at baseball mm-hmm. and finding ways to consistently go out there and be an impact player and he has succeeded in doing that he's he's a great baseball player and then in addition to that a secondary also significant priority seems to be getting compensated for that and he yep. has a couple of levers he can pull on that front Basically, once a year, he gets a chance in arbitration or in this pre-arbitration setting last year to say what he thinks he's worth. And he's certainly pulling hard on that lever. And he's leaving no doubt about where he sees himself because 7.5 is, you know, candidly, and talking to some people in the industry, that's a very, very aggressive filing number for Boba Shat. There's not a lot of numbers over the midpoint there, not to get too into the weeds. But, you know, I, I think that, his main priority is being good at baseball. He succeeds at that, and he also wants to get paid. So I don't think it's a huge problem. We can get into the details of it, but it's definitely noticeable, and it matters a lot when you're talking about one of the best players on your team. Yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily think it's, uh, yeah, like Bobochet is going to sulk his way through 162 games because, you know, he, he filed a different arbitration number than the Blue Jays. He might just do that because he likes to sulk through 162-game seasons. But I, I do wonder if you think, Ben, like if you were doing a, you know, a, you were trying to evaluate the odds of either a Bobochet or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. extension, and it goes beyond, you know, they play different positions and they're totally different players, but like, to me, that this does impact. This type of stuff impacts. I, I think if it's just one or the other, the likelihood that it's Vlad over Bo that is extended beyond the three remaining years of team control. Well, it's interesting too because these two debuted in the same year, and they have significant. They have similar significance to the franchise. Um, you know, you could debate that one way or the other. Um, you know, that's that's obviously a great discussion to have, but. It's interesting because Vladdy was called up earlier in that season, then that meant that he became a Super 2 player. He went to arbitration earlier. So yeah. he's already flying through his arbitration years, second time through, already up to $14.5 million. Meanwhile, Bo 
and uh, you know, I'm not saying that he's out there like creating comps for himself on, on arbitration, like your co-host <laughs> might, but um, you know, he's certainly someone who would see that Vlad jr. Is already up to 14.5. That, that, I, I don't know. I don't know how that would sit. I know, I'm sure Bo would want Vladdy to get paid, but at the same time, this is all about comps and you know, it, it's, this is the time in his career where he's going to start to get paid. And so I can totally understand why he would want to do that. But, you know, it's, it's, until it's resolved, that is a pretty big question hanging over this team and, and one of their most important players. Dude, it's a great, great point about Vlad getting the call up before him, allowing him to reach arbitration a year. And, like, that's many millions of dollars, like 10 million yeah. more this upcoming season that he's going to make than Bobachet because of a decision that was totally out of Bobachet's control. Like, if there's one thing that he should be angry about, it's not that this team values him differently in arbitration. Isn't it that? Because, okay, he wasn't performing at the Vlad level because nobody in the history of minor league baseball had ever done what Vlad had done through, through his rocket ship through the minor league system. Well, he wasn't far off, and he produced right away in the major leagues. Like, that's the area that he should be mad at. Yeah, it's it's got to be tough for these guys. And I think, you know, Bo, it, it, there was no talk in April of 2019 that Bo should be called up. I mean, it was pretty clear that he needed more seasoning at that point. Even when he, when he was finally called up, um, around August of that year, it's not like he was having an amazing, amazing minor league season. Um, although once he got to the majors, he was he was the player that we that we've come to know him as and and produced right away. But it, you know, if you look at the service time numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but I bet Vlad Jr. has something like seventy or eighty more days in the majors than Bo. Like it's pretty comparable. Um, and and this isn't about Vlad versus Bo because they're different positions and, and different different situations, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, Bo and his camp, when they're looking for comps in this arbitration hearing, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, you could look to Lindor, who was at 10. I mean, that's a really, really aggressive ask. Um, but the Jays are going to be pointing to guys like Willie Adamas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bo Bichette, the numbers are kind of similar. Bo's are clearly better, but the numbers are kind of similar. But I'm guessing Bo Bichette doesn't like being compared to Willie Adamas when he <laughs> thinks about what he's been able to do in his career. Yeah, and I take uh, I take Bo Bichette over uh, William Thomas clearly, but it's 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 interesting, yeah, to think about the future of this guy, and and you you, you don't necessarily have. And once the, the the first pitch is thrown this regular season, you don't think. But it's the off season right now, and there's three years of team control. But it is also interesting that to see the Scott Boris. Uh, quote about how, and yeah, I guess take it with uh, an entire salt shaker because this guy, yeah, he, there's nobody holding him to to account when it comes to what he says to media members. But he claims that the Blue Jays were very interested in Xander Bogarts, a shortstop, a guy that is still playing shortstop for the San Diego Padres, who throughout the entire free agency process said, I'm not moving off of shortstop. Uh, we've, we've heard rumblings around other shortstops in years previous. I mean, you mentioned the Francisco Lindor thing, and you know, the Blue Jays were in on uh, trade discussions with, with Cleveland at that time. Do you think there's anything to the possibility of the Blue Jays not like the the they're not under duress to 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 find Bobachet's replacement or heir, but like that that is something that they're aware of. That it's probably unlikely that that you retain Bobachet beyond the three years of team control. I mean, I think the Jays would want to extend Bobachet, and I don't think we should take that off the table because sometimes these things have twists and turns, and they still end up in a really good spot. Sometimes it seems to be going along perfectly happily. 
and then it can take a turn. So I think with Bo, with Vlad, like we don't know until there's an agreement um, and it's, it's hard to pinpoint, but it's really interesting with Bogart um, and those comments by Scott Boris. So my interpretation there, and I don't have, I don't have Boris's quote in front of me, but I did see that in USA Today about um, the interest, the interested teams in Bogarts. My impression this offseason has been that the Jays had interest in both Bogarts and Carlos Correa. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I've been told by people who would know. So, you know, I don't think that they were pushing hard. I don't think that they were, you know, close runners up, anything along those lines. But you know, if the Korea thing had fallen through again, like I wouldn't have been that surprised if the Jays had made a call and tried to figure something out. Same with Bogarts. Like he's a really good player. My understanding is that the Jays had conversations with Boris about both those guys. Uh, he reps, reps them both, obviously. So same with last offseason, Corey Seager. At that point, my understanding was the Jays' dream offseason mm. for 2021 going into the 2022 season included a mega deal with Corey Seager. Didn't happen. Um, but I, I think that's maybe less to do with Bo Vichette and more to do with trying to stack your team with as many good up-the-middle players as possible. And so that might not sit well with Bo. I'm not sure. Look forward to having the chance to ask him about that um, in spring training. But, you know, I think to me, it's more just, if you have a chance to get someone this good, like just go out and get them like they did with Semyon, and they made it work, and no one's looking back at that deal and saying that it was a mistake. No, but Semyon played second base. He didn't play shortstop, right? <laughs> and you'd be yeah. asking in this scenario, I, I mean, maybe not for Correa because, yeah, he's going to play third base for the Mets apparently, and, yeah, he's, he's played third base plenty in, in the World Baseball Classic for Team Puerto Rico and yada, yada, yada. But it does feel like the Bogarts thing and certainly, yeah, the, the Corey Seager thing you were talking about shortstops, like – in those scenarios, and the and and nothing, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a a, a a a comparison to be made to like the Freddie Freeman stuff and how real that was. Like it's not like the Blue Jays were getting rid of Vlad Jr. and they would have found a way to to make it work there. But is it? I mean, it does feel like it's 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 something that those are shortstops that they keep circling around these free agent shortstops. And I I I guess it's just a matter of uh, of circumstance in the regard that those are the guys at the top of the free agent pool the last couple of years, they've been shortstops, but in those scenarios, would they have then turned around and looked to trade Bo, do you think, or, or move him to second base? And like, how were there even preliminary discussions about his willingness to do that? Well, I think, and the Freeman comp is a great one, by the way. So I'm glad you brought that up because that wouldn't have meant that they were off Vlad jr. It just meant that Freddie Freeman's a great player. You have that conversation as for Bo, you know, I think that, it might've been a different situation even one year ago um, than it is now with each passing year that he spends at shortstop and, and plays a capable major league shortstop, then it probably becomes harder to move him off the position. Is that um, what he plays? He plays a capable shortstop right now. I think he does. I mean, I, I think it's capable. Um, you know, I don't I think guess. that as you go into next year, uh, like, of the reasons that you might be worried about the 2023 Jays, like mm-hmm. where does Bo Bichette's defense rank for you? No, you're, you're right. It's it's not super high, but he's clearly, a, he. I mean, at least this past season, he was a, a well below average defender at the position and amongst the worst among starters. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's not, that's not great. And so that creates an openness. Um, but at the same time, like how old's Bo Bichette? Like he's he's 20... Four mm-hmm. is he? Yeah, is he going into his age twenty five season? It would not be the first time that a shortstop 
can improve um, with decision making, with throw accuracy, even if the foot speed in the first step, you know, that tends to peak pretty early in a person's career. But, you know, there are ways that he can improve. And I don't think that that's total unrealistic blue sky thinking. I think that there's there are real pathways there. But again, if you have a Xander Bogarts, if you have a Carlos Correa, I mean, Correa's arm Bogarts' consistency, these are these are players that you would be willing to have that conversation. You're not going to do it until the talks get a little bit meaningful. Um, so I'm not sure if those talks happened at all with Bo this offseason, but it's that caliber of player where you can at least contemplate having that discussion. Yeah, and every time I have this discussion, I, I, I like to bring up that I back in the day, J.D. Bunkus and I actually had Bo Bichette on one of our shows, and it was during the discussion, the, the Francisco Lindor discussions, I think we flat out asked him like if he'd be willing to move off second base, and he, he didn't say no. So, yeah, the, the idea that he'd be open to that, we, we shouldn't discount the, the possibility. But um, he's the shortstop, and... Two years ago, I would have said I, it was pretty comfortable with his his defense at that position. For some reason, he took a step backward, was 22nd in defensive runs saved among shortstops this past year. But you're right. He's, he's only 24. He's about to be 25. And, um, yeah, it, 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 progressions happened. The, the Marcus Semien story, it, it, it certainly happened. And, and maybe it'll happen uh, with Bo Bichette in, in 2023. Ben, uh, did you get to keep the hard hat? I I did. I have it right here with me. Dude, that's that's awesome. Good for you. That's that yeah. can I actually have that? Yeah, yeah, I have no I have no use for it. You see it seems like you're maybe a bit more into the um digging paraphernalia than me. So it might be better suited in your uh, in your head. I would love it, but like honestly, I don't want to take it away from if you are going to display like if it's just going to go in the back of the closet, yeah, I will take it from you, but yeah, I would that is something I would love to put on my shelf. So I can have it. Perfect. Remind me. Remind me. <laughs> otherwise, um, otherwise, it might slip my mind. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Ben. There's uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith, sportsnet.ca, the At The Letters podcast. Um, has one hard hat with the Blue Jays logo on it. All right. So, yeah. Bo's really good. Okay? This, this, this should be first and foremost in your mind, that Bo Bichette is really good at baseball, and he plays a very difficult position defensively, a premium one, and to provide the offense that he does at that position, man, not a lot of guys do. And you take the bad, and we can put that in quotation marks, because not, he's not the worst defender at shortstop in the history of baseball. He's not good, though. He's well below average defender at that position. But guess what? He's well above average offensively at that position. So you take it. Like he's among the leaders in, in war uh, the last couple of years, and, and anytime he he's healthy for the Toronto Blue Jays. But it's hard not to... Look at the things that are happening here and, and the actions of the Toronto Blue Jays. And then Ben, I mean, raising a really great point, one that I hadn't thought about is, you know, not, not Bo shouldn't necessarily be all that upset about the two and a half million bucks between arbitration asks that the Jays want him to sign for five and he wants seven and a half. He should be mad because the guy who's called up at the same time as, and the guy who, I mean, you ask, 50 people on the street who's the better baseball player, Vlad or Bo, and they're split 50-50. That guy's making 10 more million bucks than him this season, and all because the team decided to call him up a couple of months earlier in their first seasons in the major leagues. I I, kind of get it. So we'll see. We'll see how this thing plays out. Um, It's not like he's going to stop playing baseball or sit out or or it's going to impact his performance on the field, I don't think. 
but it's just with three years of team control left, it is certainly something that bears monitoring. All right, when we come back, football world still trying to figure out what Tom Brady's next step is. We'll talk to his former teammate, Ross Tucker of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis. It is now safe to count out touchdown Tom Brady as the better team won yesterday. Better team throughout the course of the regular season. Better team talent-wise. Dallas Cowboys are definitively better than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And will we see Tom Brady again on an NFL football field as yet to be determined? Let's talk to uh, his former teammate, Ross Tucker, the Ross Tucker football podcast. How's it going, uh, Ross? What were you thinking as Tom Brady was walking off the field yesterday? Um, actually I had turned the game off a little bit before then. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was I was kind of disgusted by the game. I was really looking forward to it. I was hoping it would be a close game. It obviously was not. Um, and I think I probably told just before, Ben, but it's just kind of a bummer to watch Tom Brady play like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not fun to watch him on a bad team playing poorly. Not 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 a real big fan of watching that take place, but that's exactly what was going on. And so I've said it before, I don't think you'll find any teammates that are really happy that he played this year because I don't think anybody really wanted to see him play as poorly as he did this year. I mean, he was okay, but still the worst season I think I've ever seen him have. Worst season for him personally, worst season for him from a record standpoint, um, and it sounds like he wants to keep playing, uh, which is really interesting because certainly there's the potential there for it to get even worse. Yeah, I mean, again, like the counting numbers were there because he threw a thousand passes, right? Like through sixty plus uh, passes. But anybody that watched that football game understands that that was a horribly played game by Tom Brady. Missed a bunch of throws in that football game. But it is weird, though, Ross, also to think. The, the, like even after the Super Bowl season, like he was second in MVP voting during the the 2021 season. It, it, is it impossible to imagine him returning closer to that form with like a better team? Because it must be said, like the Bucks this year stunk to high heaven, and and I don't know for whatever reason he and Mike Evans couldn't figure it out, and they had injuries, yada yada yada. Like, is it is it impossible to to think that in a better situation at 46 <laughs> that Tom Brady couldn't? Couldn't be, couldn't look a lot better than at least he looked this season with a, an admittedly bad box team. Yeah, no, I definitely think he can look better than he did this year. Uh, you know, I, and I think if he goes somewhere where they have a better coaching staff, because I was not impressed with Byron Leftwich at all as a play caller or play designer, game planner. So I do think that is a good possibility that. He could play better than he did this year. I don't know that he would ever get back to, you know, what he did in 2020 or 2021. But, yes, I do think he could play better than he did this year. And I think he will. I actually think the Raiders are a pretty decent option for him. His familiarity with Josh McDaniels. You know, they've got some good weapons out there. I think that's a real possibility. And I think Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, just – 
would think it's cool that Tom Brady was playing for his team. I mean, I can totally see that happening. I mean, they, yeah, and that's the that's the one the the connection that everybody is making, um, considering their uncertainty at the quarterback position. If you're Josh McDaniel, uh, McDaniel's, and you've already embarrassed yourself in year one with that Raiders team that was supposed to compete at the top of that division and very much did not, and you embarrassed yourself on the way out in Denver, are are you? Are you comfortable, like, hitching your wagon? Like, the, your entire career probably rides on at least making the playoffs next season on 46-year-old Tom Brady? Well, I, I think what are their other options? I mean, they're not, they're not going to keep Derek Carr. They're going to trade him. So you start to look at their other options, and they, they don't have very many, right? I mean, they're, they're kind of in a position where, they need to get somebody, and, and honestly, I don't know there's very many people out there that would be better than Brady with McDaniels and those weapons next year to give them a chance to be better. But I tend to agree with you. I think it'll probably be a middling year mm-hmm. for everybody involved, and then maybe they would move on from McDaniels. Yeah. I mean, the other guy out there is Lamar Jackson, who I think everybody has now come to the agreement that – his time in Baltimore is probably done. I actually referenced uh, your take the, I guess it was yesterday. I mean, you were early on saying that it was a, it was a mistake for Lamar Jackson not to sign the extension that was handed to him by the Baltimore Ravens because they controlled all the, the levers of power, which still like technically remains true. They can franchise tag him and, and all that, but it, it really does feel like it's an untenable situation there in, in Baltimore Ross. And it, it's hard also not to think that somebody's not going to do the Deshaun Watson thing, right? Like that the jets aren't going to, mortgage their future, go all in to, to try and trade for him, and then once you've done that, aren't you kind of at the behest of the player to sign him to whatever he wants? Well, that's the thing that's interesting always in these situations, right? Like, I think the Ravens are doing the smart thing by not giving him a fully guaranteed deal. He really hasn't played great the last two years. That's number one. So you've got hasn't played great, and he's missed at least five games each of the last two years. So if you're the Ravens, I'm not giving him $250 million fully guaranteed or whatever. On the flip side, if you are Lamar Jackson, I can understand why he thinks he is worth it because Deshaun Watson got it. He's accomplished more. He's been the MVP. He's won more games. He didn't do anything off the field. So I understand both sides. Um, The thing that you said is interesting is I do think somebody would give him that contract. I don't know who it is. Maybe it is the Jets. Maybe it's like the Atlanta Falcons. I'm just throwing teams out here. I don't know who it would be necessarily, but I do think teams are desperate. And to be able to give it to a guy – who's kind of proven himself, um, unlike a lot of people out there, or certainly more than Deshaun Watson, I think it I think it gives them a real chance to do it. I guess the question there then is if you're Lamar Jackson, is that what you want? Yeah. Is the contract so important to you that you're willing to potentially go to like a bad team? A team where, you know, it's certainly not the Ravens organization. No, I I wonder though. I mean, yeah, as, as a former NFL player, like if, if somehow they were able to mend fences and and sign him to to an extension, or like he they they just franchise him and and he just plays ball and returns to the Ravens next season. I mean, we've heard some pretty 
you know, scathing stuff from former players like Michael Vick's take was was making the rounds on Twitter, right? That he should just you know, suck it up and you just throw a brace on it and get it get onto the field. And the fact that he wasn't even in attendance for that playoff game against the Bengals certainly stood out to people. How, how do you think he would be received in that locker room if he returned to Baltimore? Oh, they'd be thrilled. Yeah, I mean, they'd be thrilled. I don't think any of those guys have a problem with Lamar in any way. I don't even know what the deal was with him not being there. I think that might have been team policy that injured guys don't travel for away games. But, um, no, I think those players, look, they know they got a much better chance to win with them than without them. It's not their money. They would be thrilled if he came back. I don't think a lot of those guys blame him, mm-hmm. even if, you know, one or two maybe wish that he had played and has kind of spoken out about that. I, I think deep down most of those guys realize that he has to do what's best for him in this situation. Yeah. If he's a quarterback, uh, they're probably knocking off the Bengals in that football game because uh, they almost did with Tyler Huntley not playing all that well. He had a couple of, of plays. But uh, as it stands, Bengals are off to the divisional round uh, and we get to see – the Bengals play the Bills, a game that obviously we did did not get to see because of the horrible Demar Hamlin uh, scene that unfolded on on a Monday night. It's it's in Buffalo. I know you were in Buffalo for Bills Dolphins in the wild card round. Another three turnovers for Josh Allen, who's had plenty of them this season. Is a guy that played so spectacularly well in those two postseason games against uh, New England and then Kansas City last season. Like, is there reason to be alarmed if you're a Bills fan? Uh, Bills fan that like the the turnover bug is kind of creeping up again for Josh Allen. Absolutely, yeah, and I've been saying that all year. Actually, I've been saying all year that this is going to get them, and it's not a predictive stat, right? Like um, it might not happen against the Bengals. He might play totally fine against the Bengals, no turnovers, and they might win by two touchdowns, but. We've seen enough from him this year that it really does feel like in one of these games, they got to win the Super Bowl. It definitely feels like in one of these three games that at some point it's going to come back to bite them. It's going to cost them, and they're going to lose as a result of the turnovers. It might not be this game, but with three more games to go, it feels like it's going to happen in one of them. But what do you think is happening there? Because, like, you know, outsider perspective, it feels like, and you don't want to kill what's made Josh Allen so great, but it does feel like he's just getting overly aggressive in situations that don't necessarily call for it. We, we know, like, the the the, the, the air yards uh, per attempt were, were super high uh, against the Dolphins team when you had a, a big lead. Um, like, it, is it a mentality thing? Is it just he's going through a slump, or is it that he was – you know, kind of lucky to to get away with a, a strong run of a couple of games last postseason where it didn't show up? Like, what do you think is happening there with Josh Allen? Well, last year he didn't – I don't think he had any turnovers no. in the playoff games. I mean, last year, yeah, he was just absolutely on fire. I don't think he had as many last year during the regular season either. I feel like he's reverted a little bit back to, like, 2020 form this year a little bit and had more turnovers this year than he had had previously. So I think that's really changed things a little bit in terms of him. He's been more turnover prone this year for whatever reason. And I'm not sure I have a great, a great 
understanding or reasoning or logic for, but it's definitely a real thing that he's not as careful with the football this year, and it's hurt him. I mean, it's why they lost to the Jets. Uh, it's a big reason why they lost to the Dolphins. You know, the Vikings. I mean, when they've lost, that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on the other side, uh, the Bengals continue to have offensive line issues with with the injury, and yeah, Joe Burrow's been able to overcome being on his back a bunch in these football games. But like, how much of an issue is that headed into a postseason game against maybe not the the best defensive team of all time? But they got a couple of pass rushers there. Uh, they they wish they had Von Miller still in Buffalo. But yeah, how how big a storyline is that? Like the the precarious nature of the, of the Bengals' offensive line headed into this game. I think it's probably the biggest story. Yeah. I mean, other than, I guess, DeMar Hamlin, but I think it's a really big story. I'll be on the sideline for that game, and I certainly will be talking about it um, because we all know how important offensive line play is, offensive line depth is, and the Bengals are now down three starters. You know, they're calling Ben the right guard and the left tackle week to week. The guys never play when they're week-to-week. When they're day-to-day, they might play. When they're week-to-week, that means not that week is is what that means in my experience. So you're just not going to see their left tackle, the right tackle, the right guard. It's a lot to overcome on the road. Now, the flip side of that is the guys that are playing, a bunch of them are actually guys that started last year during the Super Bowl run but they got replaced this offseason because they weren't good enough. <laughs> and so they got better guys. But now it's like, uh, yeah, the better guys are hurt now, so we need you now again to play. Yeah, and at least Joe Burrow has, like, experience running for his life, right? Like, And, again, responding from getting absolutely drilled. This is the, a guy that's been absolutely punished when he's been healthy. And some of the reason that he hasn't been fully healthy throughout his career is because he's had to deal with this. So, like... At least, at least there's that, Ross, that he knows how to play under duress? A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look, I think he took more sacks last year in their playoff run than, like, any quarterback taking a team to a Super Bowl ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got sacked a lot last year. So, and they won. Somehow they still won those games. I mean, he was getting sacked five, six, seven times. Mm-hmm. And they were still winning. It's wild. And I think that's certainly a possibility again. Uh, before we let you go, we are now less than a month away from Valentine's Day. And uh, I know you know of a way to, to very much impress uh, your loved one in about a month's time. Listen, it, it'll be here before you know it. Don't procrastinate. Go to myfrontpagestory.com. They have professional writers that write a beautiful story. Looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. It's framed. It's it's amazing. All about your significant other. It's just such it, like it's such a cool, unique gift. It's my buddy's company. Again, it's myfrontpagestory.com. It's just awesome to say to them when they open it. I, I want to do something special for you, so I had a story written about you. That just sounds awesome. And then when they actually are reading the story and they read all these quotes from you about you know how she does I, I never thank her enough for all the little things she does she will like cry man i'm telling you like it's very emotional to see that in print myfrontpagestory.com uh ross always appreciate the time enjoy buffalo this weekend thanks
Absolutely. Take care. There's Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker football podcast. Former Bill. Former Cowboy. Former Patriot. Former Washington football player is uh, Ross Tucker. And, yeah, the game is in Buffalo. And I mentioned it to Peter King yesterday that, listen, nothing's totally fair after the DeMar Hamlin stuff. And thank goodness he's doing all he's doing much better. I mean, he's back at home in uh, Buffalo, not even in hospital anymore. And, you know, playing a neutral side AFC championship game makes plenty of sense. Bills beat the Chiefs, and if they had won against the Bengals, would have had the bye and home field advantage in that thing. But same is true of the Bengals in this game. Like, if the Bengals had won that game and everything else played out according to Hoyle, they would have been the two seed and been hosting the Bills in the divisional round but for some reason this isn't at a neutral site or isn't like a coin flip thing and there was gonna be a coin flip thing if on week 18 the Bengals had lost to the right Ra- I don't know for, for I don't understand necessarily why this is in Buffalo that being said like it's cool it's in Buffalo and there's a raucous building last week and I expect uh, more of the same this weekend I wish there was more snow in the forecast, although, again, probably benefits um, the Bills' offense that there's not. But, uh, yeah, just a weird little anomaly. Um, and, yeah, the, the Bengals are in tough with all their offensive line injuries. Um, before we get to last call, I want to circle back to the Blue Jays and, and Roger Center thing for just a second. Because part of the unveil today wasn't necessarily about baseball, and apparently that is coming. Like, the... The Blue Jays actually have told people that the dimensions and the baseball aspect, as Ben Nicholson-Smith alluded to, all that information is coming next month. There's going to be a, a, a more defined baseball side of the story told to the Toronto media in February. So today was more about, hey, look at all the cool bars and restaurants that we're going to have at Rogers Centre. And, and the whole, I think it was stated explicitly, although I don't have the quote in front of me, but like, the whole idea of this is, well, it's twofold. It's one, to add to the just viewing experience for anybody attending a baseball game at Rogerson. But I think the overarching deal is they want to draw people in who wouldn't normally go to a baseball game. They just want people to pay money to enter a stadium and to hang out with their friends. And, oh, hey, look, there's a baseball game over there. But that's not like the impetus for attending Rogers Center. That's the the whole purpose of these bar patio areas. To which I would say, like, why? Like, it doesn't matter if the team's winning. I suppose it matters. Like, if you think that you can pull off, like, and the only thing that comes to mind is Wrigley Field. Like, if you think you can pull off Wrigleyville, where it doesn't matter how crappy the Cubs are, people show up at Cubs games because, well, one, they play in the afternoon and it's sunny and bleachers and it's just like that's the deal you you have beers sitting in the sun at a historic ball uh, ballpark if they think that roger center can be- become that i i suppose but no it it, it doesn't matter uh, honestly what accoutrement you have at the stadium as long as the team's winning people are going to show up we we know this we knew it in the early 90s we were maybe a little bit wary to say that it would definitively happen if they fielded a winner. But then second half of 2015 and then 2016, we'd learned, yeah, no, you field a winner, doesn't matter. We add. And not to say, like, I'm upset at the renovations. That's sweet. 
But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if necessarily catering to non-baseball fans to come to a baseball game is, is something you need to do. All right, time now for last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Leafs, heavy favorites against the Panthers, minus 175 is the Panthers, plus uh, 148. Matt Murray against Sergey Bobrovsky. Raptors, plus 105. At the Bucks, minus 124. Again, no Giannis, no Chris Middleton in this game. And uh, Milwaukee's favored by one and a half points. Now, OG Ananobi, his total, 14 and a half points. He's covered that number just two times in his last eight. So maybe steer away from that one. But Scotty Barnes, as you well know, is coming on strong. His total, also 14 and a half points. He's covered that number six times in his last eight games. Pascal Siakam, his point total, 23 and a half points, and he's uh, about 50-50 to do that. Four times in his last eight games, he has covered the number. And that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Sportsnet, your one-stop shop for Toronto sports tonight. Sportsnet Ontario has Leafs and Florida Panthers. Sportsnet 1 has the Raptors in Milwaukee to play the Bucks. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Ben Ennis. This has been the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.